Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we're joined by Dr. Corey Pettit, who is a second-year dermatology resident and also a tutor for Step 1, 2, and 3 with Med School Coach. And today, we're going to discuss some of the topics useful for us learners and early residents, especially when it comes to how to participate in our clinical rotations more and the importance of the shelves and some interesting tips and resources to go over if you're in that period of your studies or going to be soon. So, Corey, nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more. I know dermatology in particular is one that we haven't really had anyone on to speak about in the past. And just what led you into where you're at now? Where are you? Where are you going? Let us know a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I was originally from Las Vegas. And when I applied to medical school, at least there was no MD schools in Vegas at the time. I think since UNLV has opened one. So I just applied broadly and ended up loving Ohio State. So I did medical school there and stuck around for dermatology residency as well. For me, at least, I was interested in derm pretty much from the start. I like that it's very self-contained. You're not ordering a ton of labs, imaging, having this big multidisciplinary approach. You know, you're seeing something, you make the decision on whether to biopsy it or not. You follow up those results. And a lot of times the treatment is something you prescribe or even a surgery that you do yourself. And I kind of liked all that coming together. Yeah, I feel like dermatology is one that we don't go into great detail about in med school, and I still don't know a whole lot about it. So it's definitely interesting. And it seems like there are a lot of common questions that patients are going to have that are derm related. So I guess it's not as intuitive to the medical learner early on in their careers, because we're mostly focused on, you know, family medicine and internal medicine, more primary care stuff for the boards. And that specialty is one that a lot of people are interested in, but it's very specialized. It's very competitive. So great to have you on and to come back to that topic a little bit more in the end. But I am curious because we discussed a little bit before this interview, the shelf exams in particular, and there's such a great diversity in how people prepare for these and what the schools require for them even. I kind of want to start off just broadly. Where do you think the shelves lie in this educational realm? And what should be the student's focus when they're first studying for these? That's a great question. I think it's something a lot of us kind of face at the beginning of our third year is how to allocate our time, what's important. You know, we have our rotations, then we have these exams, and how does that all fit in? Before that, we're used to your life is just books and exams, right? It's fit and everything. It can be difficult. It varies school to school. I mean, some schools weigh it much heavier than others, but I think in general, they're extremely important just because you have total control over how you do on them. Your evaluations, how the rotations go, you can control, but at the end of the day, someone's giving you that grade. Somebody's evaluating you and that has a subjective component. Whereas the exam, you know, it's just a score. It's based on what you prepare for. So I think it's something everyone should focus on for every rotation. Yeah, it seems like some schools just kind of have it as a pass-fail sort of thing. Some incorporate it into the grade. I think that's probably the more common way that a lot of schools do it. So it is important, but at the same time, they're so difficult because you only have a few weeks that you're in a particular rotation studying for that particular shelf, and there's so much material, and you're going to clinical rotations at the same time, and 
the ability to really focus on that and get as detailed as the shelves really require is really difficult. Do you have any tips or strategies for how to balance that and how to study for it? I think that's something else that's certainly tough. Definitely was a learning curve for me. And I assume most people third year. And it also depends a lot on your rotation. So of course, if you're extremely busy compared to others. In general, I found it extremely helpful to make use of your time while you're on rotation. Because depending on the rotation, you could be there a half day, you could be there a full day, or even just a ridiculously long day, like on surgery. But I think no matter what the rotation is, it's pretty rare, honestly, your entire day requires you to be doing something all the time. And so you're going to have dead time that you need to take advantage of. And I think that studying while you're at work is not just something that's okay. I think it should be encouraged. And now being on the other side of that as a resident, I would never, you know, think poorly of a student for taking advantage of downtime to study. You know, I don't care if they go to see his two patients for the third or fourth time today. It's fine for them to study, do well on the exams. I think that's something that anybody would look highly on. So I'd highly recommend that. I think something that makes it easier, at least in my case, was having an iPad. Be able to do like practice questions on while you're hanging out there. You could be on your phone doing U World, but you know, someone who sees you on your phone that may or may not look great. Whereas an iPad, I think people are less likely to question that you're doing something productive. Yeah, the different technologies are certainly another boundary, I suppose. You have to discuss with your preceptor and with the institution that a lot of people do misinterpret you using the phone as maybe slacking off, doing something you're not supposed to do, not realizing that you have your study materials on there. You can have your inky flashcards or your review videos and review notes on there. iPad is definitely, or some sort of tablet, would be much more acceptable for some reason in a lot of institutions. So I guess that's a good little tip for when on the wards, what type of technology you might want to consider using in what circumstances. I know with the core rotations that I had to take through my school, the shelves were geared towards, I want to say, without being that far in my education personally, it's probably somewhere between the knowledge you need to know for step two and somewhere and the other end being the boards that you have to take later on is specialty boards. It's more knowledge usually than a lot of us have learned maybe in school and potentially if you're on a clinical rotation in that specialty and maybe not seeing the most diverse patient population, there's going to be a lot of topics there that you haven't seen before that you're not that familiar with. And especially coming back to that, maybe having two, four, maybe six weeks to study for that shelf in that core rotation or in any rotation that you're taking a shelf exam in. That's not a lot of time. Besides studying on the wards, whenever you have extra time, assuming your preceptor, your attendee is going to let you, what are some other ways that maybe students can plan accordingly and utilize their time a little bit better to help advance their shelf scores? I think the big thing is that it's kind of treated like a marathon, not a sprint. It's kind of like dedicated where you just have to be consistent, in my opinion. And obviously, you're not going to be putting in eight to 10 hour days of study and like during dedicated since you're on rotations. But I found that even a few hours every single night, as long as you're consistent, goes a very long way. And then you're going to have at least one day off a week, maybe even two, depending on the rotation. And then those days, you can really hit it hard. And so I just blocked out time. I knew on a certain rotation, I was home around five and I knew I was studying until 7.30. Then I was having dinner and I was done for the night. And doing that every day added up pretty quickly. And you're seeing stuff on the wards to reinforce it. And I think that certainly can help. I think that you can't count on the wards or clinic to teach you everything you have to know because they're going to test you on the esoteric genetic syndromes, all the weird stuff. And 
even if you're at some big academic center, you're not going to see everything, right? Especially not in four weeks. So it'll reinforce some of the more common things. But at the end of the day, you've got to put in the extra time and outside of work to get all that down. It sounds like a lot of the skills might be similar to what we discuss in the Medical Anemonist podcast or in other past episodes where it really comes down to using certain types of strategies like space repetition to get in as many repetitions as you can before the exams. And also, like you said, the consistency, sort of habit building is going to go a long way in making sure you're prepared for each of these benchmarks in your academic career. Kind of like you said earlier, it's definitely an acquired skill, takes a little bit of time. And so when you're planning out your third year, I definitely think it's wise to not put something that you're super interested in going into right up front. So it's going to take a couple of rotations, get your study skills down, get your patterns down, your schedule and all that. That's something to keep in mind if you haven't made your schedule yet. Got it. Okay. So when you are actually studying for these, I know there are certain types of pearls and resources that people will comment on that are useful for each of the shelf exams. And being a tutor, you probably have a little bit more insight into this. You can hear what all of the different students you're currently tutoring use. I'm not sure how much of the shelf exam you go through with your tutoring, because I know you focus on the USMLE step one through three, but are there particular pearls you would suggest or maybe even resources for each type of shelf exam that we can cover? Yeah, we could talk generally for the shelves and then even each individual one, if you like, to talk about some of the especially specific resources I found to be very helpful. Yeah, let's go through it. And we'll have a lot of show notes to uh, add these resources <laughs> at the end. Perfect. Yeah, I can send you the links and everything too. So in general, no matter what the rotation is, I think the online edit is a great place to start. They have this catchphrase. They say that it's great for the boards and the wards. I personally found it more helpful for the wards. It's very practical, good day-to-day information, but you can't use that as a sole resource. You won't even come close to passing the shelf with that alone. But he, he draws these nice flow charts. He kind of works through some common diagnostic scenarios, gives you a great background for you then to fill in the details. So I would start with that. And then no matter what rotation you're on, there's going to be some U-world questions. Some like surgery have maybe a few hundred and some like I have something like 15, 1600. They're always adding to it. So I would make sure to do at a minimum all the U-world questions for that block. And there's actually some where I think you're helped out by doing questions from other blocks. We could talk about that a bit in the specifics. Most of the specialties, I think there's maybe one to two books that are helpful. But I think in general, it's important to not go crazy with those. I think I see this a lot with my students on the board exams as well that if you have five, 10 resources, you're just not going to learn any of them very well. I'm all about consolidation. Pick a couple and just get those down extremely well. And if you know what's in there, you can do very well. Yeah, that's definitely a problem that I ran into was having too many resources. And then I'd cover a lot of them and I'd recognize similar material in all of them. So I would think, oh, I'm doing very well. I know this material if I'm recognizing all this stuff. But then I wasn't really getting into some of the more esoteric, the more tedious types of material. So I kind of say it's better to completely memorize one resource that's maybe graded a C resource than to have 10 A resources and you're really just learning the same things in each one of them. And I think that's a failure that a lot of, or a mistake that a lot of students can fall into very easily. They get that illusion of knowledge and not really getting into some of the harder topics and harder to memorize and really focusing on their weaknesses, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times students have this false conception that there's some like secret resource out there that the guys who got a 260 on the boards and a 90 whatever on the shelves found you know it's like the six-pack shortcuts right this one weird trick everyone hates them for 
And that just doesn't exist. The basic resources everybody uses, if you use those, use them well, get them down, that's the recipe to success, not some undiscovered, you know, resource or QBank out there. Definitely agree. Recall episode I did on the medical anemonist with Dr. Anders Ericsson, the author of Peak, was all about deliberate practice and just going over the different details and like learning is not meant to be easy. If it's too easy, you're probably not learning anything. So don't look for the easy way out because you're not going to get the depth of knowledge that you really need for these types of intense exams. So going on to some of the specific resources per rotation or per shelf even, I suppose we could cover both at the same time. What are some of the resources you've come across or that your students are using? How would you recommend the audience approach each of these different topics? Like I said, in general, I think UWorld is good for all of the boards or all the shelf exams. How many questions there are really varies. There's a couple of books, a couple of QBanks for each one that I think are helpful. So we can start with internal medicine because that's the big rotation for a lot of people. It's a big one, yep. Even if you're doing surgery, I'd argue. Surgery has a lot of medicine in real life and on the boards. And so it's really a fundamental for most people. UWorld is fantastic for it. When I took the exam, I believe there were 1,400 UWorld questions for IM. Now there's even more. And it is a ton, but I recommend doing all of them, getting at least one good pass through all of that. And so for this rotation in particular, you should treat it like dedicated, where you know how many questions there are, and you break up to how many do I have to do a day and a week in order to finish on time. That should be your priority. As far as books go, I think Step Up the Medicine is good. I wouldn't go crazy with it because it can be pretty dense. Just try to get one pass through it if possible, but don't let it take away from UWorld time. If you're in danger of not finishing UWorld, I think that should be your priority. The explanations are just so good that you don't want to miss out on that. Internal medicine, I think, was one where you really do learn a lot on the rotation itself. Most of us are at big centers, tend to have a lot of very complex patients. Most attendings I found an IM like to teach, they walk you through some pathophys that's very relevant. So, you know, it won't give you all you need to know, but you definitely learn a lot of very boards relevant material during that rotation. I think my first internal medicine rotation, luckily I got to retake it as an elective because my first one was actually at an outpatient clinic, a private practice clinic. So there wasn't that diversity. There wasn't that, I suppose, the experience that a lot of students in a larger institution, university setting might have. So just kind of knowing that going forward, if that's such an important aspect of a lot of the shelf exams and or the step exams in particular, it's sort of primary care need to know foundational aspect that not having that experience as a lot of students might, whether they came from an international medical school like I did, or even if they're U.S. med students that just maybe had a preceptor that they couldn't really get along with or learn from very well. Having these other resources can be invaluable in progressing through their academic paths. Yeah, it absolutely can. And while, while it's helpful to see stuff in real life, I honestly think for the shelf exams and the boards, it's not necessary. Honestly, there are some days where I felt like I'd rather have a easier day where I'm not seeing as many complex patients and have more time to study. I think I would have done better. So it's not necessary by any means. So I guess from internal medicine, probably the next one, like you said, would be surgery. Are those going to be similar resources or are there any specific ones that you found extremely useful for surgery and any kind of pearls for the shelf exam? Surgery is a tough one. I personally found surgery and OBGYN to be the most difficult ones for me. And I think part of that is just there's not as good of resources as for IM. UWorld only has a few hundred questions on it. 
And those questions really do focus on surgical management. Does this person need a neck slap or not? You know, what is a complication of a cholecystectomy, that kind of stuff. And that's maybe half of the shelf exam. A lot of the surgery exam is actually medicine. It's just happens to be a surgical patient. You know, you have a patient who got surgery, they now have low mag, low potassium. Why might that be? What are you going to do? That's going to be under a medicine year old question, not a surgery year old question, but it's on your shelf. And so that can take a lot of people by surprise, especially if surgery is their first rotation. They've not done medicine yet. And so I actually recommend doing some of the medicine U-world blocks. I would do all of GI and all of renal at a minimum during your surgery block, just because those things come up all the time while you're on it. And GI in particular, just because so many GI diseases require surgery at some point, they could very much ask you a medical question about Crohn's disease, and that person you know, later requires surgery. So it's technically fair game. As far as books go, Pestana, of course, is the gold standard. I think everybody has PDF of that floating around. It's like 50, 60 pages. It's one of those things you have to know all of, but knowing all of it is not sufficient. It's a good primer and then a good review. As far as books themselves, I think most people use the Virgilio or uh, NMS cases. I prefer NMS cases personally, but I think you can get through one of those two. That is more than enough. Gotcha. Yeah, it did seem like when I was studying for that shelf that I did the normal ones, as you would say. And I think try to start NMS or case studies, but they're very, I would say extensive, very long for the amount of material that you can get through it. And being a slow reader, that was just not a great resource for me in particular. But I think it's important to note that, yeah, doubling up with your internal medicine material at that point in time, especially if you didn't get to finish it all during your IM rotation, that's a good time to go back, finish it up. There's going to be a lot of overlap a lot of correlation with the treatment side of those diseases, like you mentioned, especially with gastro, is going to end in a surgical management aspect. So I like that pearl right there. I think that can really help students organize how they're going to approach those two topics. From there, I suppose we can kind of go into the other sort of hybrid surgical, which would be OBGYN. OBGYN is a weird one because it's kind of its own world. I found that a lot of the exams, especially IM, family med, if you did well on step one, a lot of that knowledge kind of correlates, right? There's a lot of next step questions that weren't on step one, but if you have a good understanding of pathophys, you have a great foundation for answering those questions. OBGYN is just kind of its own world. I did not find that to be the case, which was pretty tough. The pro to it is there's honestly not a lot of material. At least at the M3 shelf level, there's not all that many diseases. And then pregnancy and delivery, of course, is kind of its own beast you have to master. But you know, at the end of the day, not a whole lot of stuff they can test you on. I do think it's one where you want to have some sort of text that you're getting through. Blueprints is a bit denser, but it's one of those that if you get through all of it and really understand it well, there's no reason that you shouldn't crush the shelf. It's just a matter of whether you have the time or not. And you know, OB is, of course, one of the busier rotations at most of the institutions, so that can be difficult. UWorld was helpful, but again, there's not a ton, ton of questions. so. That, that can be one of the difficulties. I know some people liked those UIs questions. I believe a lot of our attendings recommended those. They're kind of more geared towards residents is my understanding. So I found them to be, I don't know, maybe half the questions were helpful and half weren't. And I feel like I spent so much time trying to determine, is this something I have to know or not that ended up being super productive for me at least. So I did UWorld, I did Blueprints, and then I did a little bit of case files and that was more than enough to do well. One quick pearl for it is I was surprised by how much ID there was on the exam, actually. So we tend to think about 
delivery, postpartum period, that kind of stuff. But they really did test a lot of STIs. And there was a lot of pictures, you know, is this molluscum? Is this syphilis? Is this gonorrhea? And so I'd make sure you have those down and can recognize kind of some basic pictures and basic treatment of those. I had a similar problem where I did not know what was going to be useful for the exam. And it was a topic that wasn't covered in my school at all. It was all brand new. I don't have a kid, so I don't have like that experiential learning. I was completely lost for most of that. I think I was reading blueprints as well at the time. It's a pretty extensive book. And like you said, UWISE, that was another recommendation I heard of. And that is a little more than you're probably going to need to know for the shelf exams. But I guess kind of STIs, maybe even some UI related questions, a lot more microbiology in there than you would think. A little bit of surgery, a little bit of preventative maintenance too, to some degree, but you have to figure a lot of patients are going to come in and might not have had prenatal care. So you're going to get a lot of questions potentially on those types of patients and what to look out for. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know students looking for a clinical rotation outside of their school's network? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend and earn credit towards your future rotations. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. All right, from there, I think Family Med is, at least for the shelves and boards, preventative maintenance and everything else kind of gets roped into internal medicine anyway. So I'm not entirely sure how to focus on that either. I just know there's a lot of dates and, you know, how old is someone when they need to be screened for this was a huge part of it. Other than that, I don't know how to provide any more guidance for that topic. I feel like I keep saying this time time that was also a tough one. I mean, when it comes down to it, if you want to do really well on family med, I think the most helpful thing is to honestly take it later than a lot of your other rotations, because every rotation feeds into it a little bit, right? I am, of course, by far the most, but you get a little bit of OBGYN in there, a little bit of surgery in there, even a little bit of psych, honestly. So if you've been exposed to all those things, you honestly have most of the knowledge that you need, and you can add in some of those specific preventative screening tests. If you're taking it early, or say you really want to go into family meds, you're doing it middle of the year when you're at your peak, UWorld is helpful. When I took the exam, there was no family med section. My understanding is there's actually a family medicine section on UWorld now, which is great. When I took it, we would just do IM questions. And if it took place in an office, that was fair game. If it was a hospital question, we skipped that. And that was kind of the best we could do as far as questions go. There is a Q-Bank for family med. I can't remember the name off the top of my head because I barely used it, but it's recommended a lot, but it's more geared towards residents as well, kind of like the UI's questions are. So I did not personally find that one to be very helpful. Stuff of the medicine is great for family med. It has a whole like ambulatory chapter at the end that's maybe 40, 50 pages. I would make sure you have that down very well. Like you mentioned briefly, the screening is kind of its own thing that's not covered a ton by the other rotations. The screen that they use is the U.S. Preventive Task Force, the A and B recommendations. There's like a little sheet of maybe 25 or 30 of those you can print off. And I just actually carried that with me in clinic. And I would glance at that every now and then during free time to try to really memorize those. Because it's just memorizing these random facts, really. Yeah, I feel like the screening and the vaccine schedules were also a part of that, which do overlap somewhat with IM, but also seemingly just much more detail. And I'm terrible at remembering those. It's just rote memorization for me. And the other, I think the AFP actually has a free QBank on their website as well. But that too might have been more geared towards 
residents. I don't recall at this point. I did that way, way early in my studies many years ago, and I can't recall the complexity of it anymore, but possibly one more resource that the audience can utilize. And something else for family med is definitely don't neglect dermatology. That's not just I'm a dermatologist. Most of your medical education, honestly, you're fine neglecting dermatology. But for family med, that is not the case. That's the one time you had to hunker down, look at some rashes. There were a lot of dermatology questions on there. And like you said, you get maybe a week of dermatology training, M1, M2 year. So just skip through that chapter, step up the medicine, look at a few pictures of the common rashes, be able to differentiate them, and you'll be golden. Sounds good. All right. So we have IM, family med, surgery, OB-GYN. I guess we could do psych next. Yeah, psych, I actually thought was not bad. It's similar to OBGYN in that there's not a lot of material for you to study. But fortunately, I thought a lot of it correlated pretty well with step one material that you already know. First aid for psych, I think, is the main text people use, and it's fantastic. It's a couple hundred pages. It's very, very high yield. You know, it's got big letters and bullet points, so pretty easy to get through. There's a lot of U-World questions as well for psych, which is helpful. There's a book called Lange that has extra questions in it that I did, just since, you know, there weren't a ton of resources for psych. I found that to be helpful personally, but that's kind of a, if you have time, get to it situation. I think the one thing with psych is that since there's so little material, they're extremely nitpicky on the exam. It really is a situation of, does this person have five of the nine criteria for a depressive disorder, or do they only have three of the nine? So I found it helpful to actually write out those criteria really quick, and I would kind of put a check mark next to the ones that they check. The nitpicky on time courses as well, is this a schizophreniform disorder? Is this schizophrenia? You know, is it schizoaffective? So really that stuff may not seem important, is important on this shelf detail-wise. Yeah, it seems like the differential diagnosis is a huge part of it. Like you said, the criteria, how many of the criteria are they meeting or those that do have very specific criteria? And then the other one that I noticed was the length of the disease. Has it been less than six months or over six months or two weeks? Or Those seem to be very common time points for classifying it as a different disease versus one very comparable. So having those down memorized somehow is probably going to be a huge benefit. And most of the questions that I recall were along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. And they go very in-depth into pharmacology just because there's not a whole lot of drugs to know. So they expect you to know the side effects very well. I didn't feel like they focus on like mechanism of action as much as step one, but side effects are a big one. Which drug you use in which situation is a big one. And then of course the psychotropic drugs and how overdose presents, that kind of stuff is totally fair game on psych. Oh, back to the side effects of pharmacology. One of my least favorite topics to study. <laughs> All right. So what do we have left? We went over internal, family, surgery, OBGYN, psych. I know I'm missing at least one. See, we got neuro and peds. I think psych's probably a good segue into neuro, actually. Okay. Yeah, neuro is not a core in my school, but it is in a lot of U.S. schools. So that's probably a good distinguishing aspect to mention to the audience as well. At least from talking to my friends, it sounded like some schools required neuro and some required EM seemed to be ones they'd kind of flip between. For us, it was neuro. We did not have an EM shelf third year. So if you do have it, UWorld is also fantastic for neuro. There's a whole lot of questions on it. It's helpful if you've taken psych before, 
because a lot of the questions actually kind of ask you to differentiate a neurological issue from a primary psychiatric issue. The biggest thing for the neurology shelf, and it's no surprise, uh, surprise given you know what's focused on on your rotations, is localizing lesions. They really, really want you to be able to look at the symptoms somebody has and be able to say you know what artery in the brain was blocked or where that deficit is. Or they'll show you an MRI, you can see a clear lesion. They'll ask you to say what symptoms you expect. They love to test that. Wallenberg syndrome is definitely one of the big high yield syndromes that they test in regards to that. Besides UWorld, I didn't use any other QBanks for it. I also found blueprints to be helpful for this one. It's pretty detailed, but if you can get through all of it, it uh, had everything you need to know. Gotcha. Yeah, we had six core rotations for mine. So the five we first covered and then PEDS was the six. So having neuro as a potential one is good to know for those that are going to have that. EM, I didn't have that shelf and I wasn't able to lock down a rotation in that either. So I definitely don't have any resources for that. I know you said you didn't take that as a shelf exam either. That wasn't a requirement for your cores. Do you have any recommendations from that that you've heard from others or since your schooling? For emergency medicine, I don't really have a whole lot just since I didn't take it and you know, all my friends at school hadn't taken it. So I'm not familiar with those resources. Okay, fair enough. We'll skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that just leaves pediatrics then. That just leaves pediatrics. A lot of people really hated this shelf. I honestly didn't find it all that bad because a lot of it is honestly just medicine, but in little people. And then, of course, there's your weird ped specific stuff you have to know. But I didn't think that was honestly too high a volume of knowledge. As always, UWorld is great. I think that it's a subject that was covered very well by the volume of questions on UWorld. As far as texts go, I liked NMS Pediatrics. It's fairly dense, but it's a lot of bullet points. I didn't think it was too bad to get through. So if you can fit in a pass of that, I think that goes a really long ways. One of the hard things with pediatrics was, I think a lot of the exam focuses on weird like genetic syndromes like Vatter and Prader-Willi. And it's just stuff that even more so than I am in surgery, you're just never going to see in real life, right? There can be like 10 kids in the world that have this disease and you've got to know it. So those can be tough, but just learn from the textbook and learn from the questions. The developmental milestones are something people spend a lot of time on, and I just feel like it was not asked all that much. You'll probably get a couple of questions on it, so don't blow it off altogether, but don't spend hours and hours and hours on it. That can be spent better elsewhere. Something that is memorization heavy and I thought was more high yield was actually the vaccine schedule. You've got to know which ones they're getting when. And there's, in my opinion, no great way to memorize it. It's just memorization. There is a video I thought was helpful. It was called USMLE Shortcuts, Easy Immunization Schedule. I can give the link to that. It's like 15 minutes, gives you some mnemonics. And if you have that down, you have all you need to know about the vaccines. Yeah, the vaccines and the developmental stages are so heavy on memorization. And it's just so tedious because they're so easy to mix up between the different categories and different timelines that students have to dedicate a lot of time. Actually, maybe I should make a special episode on the other podcast about that, <laughs> how to memorize these really annoying charts. But yeah, the weird diseases too, that I had not even seen before a lot of them. And then they would show up, I think in way higher quantity than I would have expected in like the Kaplan and UWorld Q banks for PEDS. 
I can't recall how many actually showed up on the shelf or not, but there seemed to be so many questions in those cue banks that I associated that with spending more time remembering all these things that you only ever hear about in the pediatric shelves or if you're going to that residency, but nothing else. So I can definitely understand where some of your fellow classmates also found that frustrating because that was a point of contention for me as well. Well, then I think if we have covered all the shelves here pretty well, we have some good key pearls, some great resources. We're going to add those into the show notes. I think the last thing really to discuss is, well, two things. Let's start with you as a dermatology resident now. What are some tips you would recommend to the audience if they're thinking about maybe going into derm in the near future? What are some things they have to prep for and how to really ace the rotations in that specialty? Like you mentioned earlier, it's a fantastic field. It is unfortunately one of the most competitive, and that seems to be the case year in, year out. So it was definitely something pretty stressful to match into. I think the most important thing, besides, of course, the generic, do well on your boards, do well on your rotations, is to try to have some contacts with uh, the dermatology department. They tend to be very small. A lot of programs take anywhere from two to four residents a year, have maybe 10 to 15 faculty. So it's kind of a tight-knit family. And if you have an in with, you know, even one or two of the faculty at your school, that goes a really, really long ways. And I know that some schools don't have a dermatology department. And so in that case, honestly, I would try to get to know somebody at another institution. Most major cities will have at least one Durham residency. Try to get to know some faculty there. You say you're interested in the field, say you wanted, uh, that you want to do some research, and that's a great way to get your foot in the door and get to know them. We obviously like to see high step one, step two scores. As far as your rotations go, they just kind of care about doing well in all of them just because all the candidates are pretty stellar. I would say internal medicine is probably the most important since we're technically, we used to be a subspecialty of, of internal medicine, actually. You know, most people apply and do pretty well in all those rotations. As far as your rotation in dermatology itself, I was always surprised by how little dermatology knowledge I was expected to know. I think that they're very reasonable. They know that, you know, you got maybe one week M1, M2 year, and, uh, you know, a lot of us just don't have a good working background in dermatology, right? So they just want to see you've done well in school in general, and that shows to them that, hey, this person can learn all these crazy skin diseases when that time comes. Okay. Yeah, that seems odd that they would not really put as much emphasis on that, but like you said, not getting a lot of education in Durham beforehand, so it would be hard to really expect to know that much unless you had a really intense clinical rotation in that specialty, which is still pretty difficult to get from my understanding. Don't know a whole lot of Durham preceptors out there currently, but the internal medicine aspect of it seems almost counterintuitive, maybe not the correct term, but with something so subspecialized where internal medicine seems so broad and all-encompassing, is that really so that they just have a great solid foundation, do you think? Or is there any other potential reason for why that's so important for that specialty? I think that for matching into it, it's just kind of a way for them to see how well you can take in a large volume of information. You know, day to day, do I use my endo or renal knowledge? No, of course not. But I did well on those shelf exams. And that shows them that, hey, you can buckle down, you can study, you can take in all this different information. And that's what they want to see. You actually learn a ton during your dermatology residency, a lot of different diseases and everything. And that's a good way of showing that you'll be able to keep up 
once you get in there. I think that's why they cared about that one in particular. And then at some institutions, mine included, we're actually a division under the internal medicine department. So I guess technically it's the shelf or the department that would be closest to us. Got it. Okay. That makes a little more sense then. Well, I've definitely had a great time discussing all these topics. Hopefully I haven't taken up too much of your time. I know you're also a tutor with Med School Coach. Maybe you can give a brief description of what your responsibilities are there. And then if anyone in the audience is seeking any more mentorship or tutoring from you, where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. I actually did not know that there were tutoring companies that existed for the board exams until I was a resident. I was looking for ways to make extra money and one of my friends was doing it. So I got involved in that and I found it to be extremely rewarding. And there's lots of companies out there. I personally chose Med School Coach because they give us a lot of flexibility. They find clients for us. And the cool thing about it is there's no set curriculum. They don't give us PowerPoints or this big thing you have to do. They basically trust that, hey, you did well on the exam. You have tutoring experience. We trust you to be able to personalize this to what the student most needs. And so like you said at the beginning of the podcast, I tutor step one, step two, step three. And I really focus on what each individual student needs. We meet for an hour at the beginning to kind of discuss their strengths and weaknesses, what they want to get out of tutoring, how we can best help them. And for most students, it's a combination of didactic lectures that I've prepared and then test-taking strategy where I have them go into UWorld and I watch them do a question, have them think out loud, and then I'll kind of stop them give them different ways to approach a question, how to rule things out and kind of quiz them on related topics. And that combination ends up being pretty effective for students. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely appreciated when a buddy of mine that's now a tutor at med school coach was helping me through some of the step two materials a while back. Very useful resources. Where can they actually find your personal link if they would like to reach out to you? I'm found through the med school coach website. So if you go to the general website, you can say you're interested in the company and you can actually specify a tutor if you have one in mind. So if you wanted to work with me, you could say, hey, I want to work with Corey and they would connect you with me and you know, I'd be more than happy to take you on. Sounds great. Well, Dr. Corey Pettit, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your expertise with us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.